Today, we're going to be talking about coaching female competitors and how to coach female clients to a higher level whilst, whilst maintaining their long-term health. So the first question that comes to mind is, how much consideration needs to be given to female competitors compared to men? Is it, can a coach just not take what they're doing for a man and just apply the same kind of methodologies to a woman? With, with a lot of the uh, principles around nutrition, training, supplementation, even some of the PD stuff, th there's a, a lot of overlap that's going to occur because we're all humans. So it's not that we're coaching like an alien species. Although as guys, sometimes we feel like we might be because we're so distant. Right. But uh, a, a lot of those generalities are still going to apply. It does get to where there is some specific issues around females that do make them unique to where you start running into bottlenecks and problems that you haven't experienced in a male and you don't know how to resolve it to keep progressing their physique. And a, a lot of that revolves around the ever flexing hormone state of the menstrual cycle or if they're lacking a menstrual cycle, or if they have uh, menstrual cycle irregularities, you don't have these things in males. You just have fairly stagnant hormone levels relatively. Um, then eventually you go hypogonadal once you just get too old. But in females, there's just a, a, a large spectrum between of hormone fluctuations that greatly influence physique change and just health parameters in general. And even these hormone fluctuations in the menstrual cycle, they have different influences on how someone is going to metabolize nutrition. Um, they have changes month to month on their recovery capacity around this. And some are more influenced than, than others as well. But those hormone differences make a large impact in how you're going to be coaching a female. And then what's even a greater difference is once you get into the enhanced female side, where you are bringing in exogenous hormones and how that impacts a, a hormone system that is already in so much flux and that has a huge impact on a female's health, not just regarding um, in the immediate, like how they feel mood wise, but long-term health for, for, for bone outcomes, uh, dementia risk, cardiovascular outcomes. And then also the greatest risk for females opposed to males is, creating masculinizing side effects using these compounds, which for males, that's, we're already males. That doesn't really matter. So you can't apply the same PED protocol that you would to a female. And I don't think many are doing that, but there's not a much information out about what would be the more benign route to go for a female to do these things. So there's a, a lot of overarching things that we can apply across genders, but um, there's once you get into the nuance where it really differentiates and uh, some of this gets a little bit into, you know, even um, biomechanics of a female, different angles of joints and um, setting somewhat up and lifts it has some slight differences, a little bit more nuanced um, recovery capacity of these females. It can be a little bit more than what a male might see. So yeah, there, there is uh, definitely some differences between twin genders, obviously. I think there's a, <clears throat> a slight continuation of that in that like it's it's pretty well discussed, like some adaptations around prep that occur that you're kind of expecting to see. I think where people miss the boat a lot of times is managing the adaptations to enhance female physique development that can impact the off-season progress as well. 
because a lot of these can carry over into impacting the rate of progress from a tissue accumulation standpoint, where if we're not addressing that in the off season, and then also taking a little bit more of a nuanced look at the training, like John mentioned, we can actually get these females that are spinning their wheels year on year. Um, so instead of making the progress to elevate into a higher level of the class that they're trying to compete in, we see these females looking fairly similar on a year to year because their all seasons aren't quite addressing the root problems that are not allowing them to add that tissue. Yeah. It, it's <clears throat> gets to where with, within like those differences um, when you are coaching females, you haven't taken the extensive female course just yet. Right. You're kind of like thrown into it and like just figuring it out as you're an early on coach and with males, we're relatively easier to put muscle on, stay a little leaner and get leaner to stage. But then you run into a female, you're like, gosh, I'm adding food in. It just seems like I'm just getting someone's more, more body fat and so far away from prepping. Then you get them into prep and it's like, I can't get them lean enough. And they're on super high cardio, already low food. And you're like, how I have no tools left to do to get this female leaner. So what's going on here? What's the difference between this with, with males and females? Why can't I get them to that, that physique um, stage that we want? And there you'll run across some anomaly females that just do it easy, but many will not be there. Many, many won't, won't be. And so it, it does present some challenges along coaching. You're going to, you're going to run into, and things that you wouldn't run into at all with a male coaching, like they might ask you about birth control. You're like, what? I never thought I would have to know about birth control, you know, to, to coach someone just to get lean and build some muscle. It's like, well, that's impactful on a physique. That's a really a woman's first exposure ever to an exogenous steroid, but you don't think of it that way. You just think, oh yeah, birth control. It's just a name. And a lot of people don't even know how they work. <laughs> so, but those are impactful too physique development. So there's, there's all, all things that we'll run into along the way. And then even consideration of how do you know someone does have like proper hormone function within ranges that you want? And how do you optimize that? If, if someone's um, maybe been in a, in a dieting scenario for so long that they have this low hormone state and that might be influencing how they're building muscle in the off season or accumulating body fat. And how do you read those labs <laughs> is another thing too. Um, Cause uh, even within the menstrual cycle, they're all the fluctuations. Like, well, when you test what should be high, what should be low. And um, it's very, very hard to find information around that. So let's um, actually start there, John, if you don't mind dissecting that. So if we take like, let's say we've got a female who's been dieting for a very long phase. They're now going into the off season. There's some level of hormone disruption heading into the off season. What are some of the things that are taking place in order for her to be gaining more fat, not being able to put on as much muscle? And then what can you do to circumvent that to give a female the best possible chance through an off-season? Yeah, so with with coming through a contest prep, all the maladaptations, which they're, they're adaptations in prep, but they're not positive, so we'll call them maladaptations, right? Um, basically... Throughout the dieting process with low body fat, high amounts of output, and low food, you create a relative energy deficiency state, which the body is going to try to compensate for all that to occur. So all your positive hormones that will be contributing to building muscle, losing body fat, are shifting. So you're having 
a reduction in testosterone, reduction in estrogen, reduction in progesterone, all the positive hormones that a normal female would want to have fluctuations in. And with that too, you're also lowering growth hormone, IGF-1, lowering thyroid, lowering leptin, which is kind of the central regulator for metabolic function. And you're having rises in cortisol, norepinephrine, adrenaline. So you're basically setting someone up for a very catabolic state in a state that's going to be really easy to gain body fat because where is the state they're coming from? Uh, the body's trying to get fat on this person because like, hey, this is crazy. <laughs> You're not supposed to be like shredded out like as, as a uh, like a basic uh, like almost if you want to look at the kind of survivalist way the body is set up is to be for childbearing. Like we want our females to be able to have reproductive health, um, bear children. So the body always is trying to shift back to this state where to prepare this female with higher body fat levels. So in, in a post-contest state, when you have this hormone um, state that's changed, you're going to easily gain body fat and not be in a great position to build muscle because of that. And it takes some time to restore and we have data and looking at these restorations and some of them take up to eight months for certain hormone levels to fully restore. Um, it's kind of a, across the spectrum on how long certain things do take. It, and it really depends on how long, how far that female is from her set point. So where'd she start prep where she can normally maintain general hormonal health and what, how low she had to get to and how long was the prep. And in, in intense was it? Uh, you can kind of think of it as like um, taking a, a loan out from the bank for prep, right? Um, and the longer you're going to be taking this loan out, the more money you need to take out, the longer it's going to take to pay back. And so at the end of, of, of the prep or in the post show, like all that kind of adds up and you have to pay back the bank. And for some people, it's going to take a good chunk of time. So there's that aspect, but then even the training aspect too, you're have been in a state of high accumulation of fatigue um, to where right immediately post-show, there is a bit to pull off where there's sleep disarrangement occurring. So there's already high fatigue, but also you're not sleeping the best, which, you know, is it the chicken or the egg kind of thing? Well, it's a little bit of, of both. So, and then with that poor sleep comes, uh, mood disturbances, and there's also extremely high food focus and hunger levels, not just from poor sleep, but also just from being in a, um, a, a low energy state as well. So your body's just set up to gain fat. What mm -hmm. can you do to, to mitigate that? Well, you actually want it to happen. Like the, the best thing you can do to restore all those uh, adaptive things that happen on prep and get back to a state of strength where you can build tissue in the off season is to bring back a level of body fat um, to restore those hormones. That's really what has to happen. And it should be thought of as like the recovery state. So we need to accept um, a level of body fat accretion to occur. Uh, the, the thing is well, how fast to go. And I think that's where we run into the most problems because you are in that state with high fatigue and food focus. And you're like, I just want to eat, you know, everything post-show and you have someone that gains all their weight that you wanted them to gain in eight weeks in one week <laughs> or two weeks, um, which there's problems around that. Uh, for one, many people can, when you're accumulating body fat that quick can easily overshoot 
and go past a body fat state that was their kind of set point where they have good health and they almost lose their whole offseason runway. Um, then they're also haven't had the dime period in its time that's needed, not just body fat to restore that hormone state. So now they have a lot of body fat on them and haven't fully restored hormones and also still really food focused. It's like, whoa, whoa, where, where do you go with that? Like, and that's a, that's a tough spot to be in. And you know, Luke, Luke can probably speak on how you start, you know, setting up someone to have a successful post-show period. But, um, in that situation, you try your best not to get there, but that's where you are having to keep someone at maintenance for, for a good chunk of time to restore those hormones. And then at some point you could, might have to pull body fat off down the road, but it's, it's not the time just immediately post-show. This was a, a big question mark. So it takes me a long time to get through it, but <laughs> um, no, I appreciate it. My, my last, my last kind of thing here is, um, and I'll let Luke touch on other, other aspects, but would be, you know, consideration of the goals of that female and what her risk profile is and also her age and goals, not just for the stage, but also for like long-term fertility and age because of if she's a younger athlete, how quickly would she restore hormone function and if, or if she's older and she's already experiencing some premenopausal symptoms, then also physique goals, because um, how quickly does she trying to get back on stage again? And why I bring up all these points is because this might be a consideration where you might want someone already in a hormone replacement um, spot, because you think about this, how, how long a female is going to live with suboptimal hormones, not just from the benefits from building a physique, but also for the long-term aspects of the positivity around estrogen and brain, heart, kidney health. So bone health. So you have a female where she loses her menstrual cycle, you know, within a few weeks of prep, she might spend months without one then post-show. How long does that add up to be? It could be a couple months and then maybe just a couple months, she actually gets a full rest restoration to an, an ovulatory menstrual cycle, not just a bleed, but actually being able to ovulate and have proper hormone rise and decline. So she's spending many months without these hormones and how aggressive are her goals where she's like, Hey, I'm going to be doing this the next seven, eight years. And I'm going to be competing every year. It's like, okay, well, this might be where we're not going to be fully restoring hormones. It might be better to just leave in some hormone replacement and that might align better with, with her goals and her risk profile. The older athlete might already be there or someone in menopause, like a master's client. And so having that in place in the post-show period where you have that really poor hormonal state, you are doing some to already improve that for that female. So uh, I would, I would usually see that they have a, a better post-show experience and get back to a state of productive off season a lot faster. Um, I guess the opposite in that is, is like the natural athlete that is <clears throat> not going to have the ability to deploy HRT potentially. And that will take time and you cannot compare your female off seasons to that. Uh, some of these enhanced females and you look around the natural uh, competitor circuit and their shows are very, very spread out. And I don't mean like in the calendar year, I mean, in, in the yearly plan, they, 
take um, year, year and a half off between these shows. And then they strike hard when they do, but they knowing that they're going to have to have a long time period off. Everything takes longer in the natural. So longer off seasons, longer preps. Um, so you can't compare like that prep to an enhanced female that's doing multiple shows a year and doing some type of six month uh, downtime between. And this, that's what I was going to ask about when you were talking about like going into the off season and the amount of time that it takes to reestablish that healthy level of hormones. And I wondered kind of relating it to a man that's doing like a TRT dosage of tests just to maintain that healthy balance of, of hormones. And so could you do, if someone's goal is like five, six, seven years, I want to be doing this back to back competitions, then you would almost give them like a, a base hormone replacement therapy like you would with a male on TRT just to keep them at that level all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where, <clears throat> cause I reel back this question to the initial needs analysis with the client. And the reason I do that is because of the end goal, because if the end goal is to compete at the highest level with the client that you just proposed, like they're competing for five, six, seven, eight years, we see, and we've done a podcast on this, the divergence of fertility and bodybuilding pursuits. And I say that because there needs to be expectation management within the client cells that we work with within female categories, because a lot of them are very emotionally attached to the idea of being a mom and being a parent. And this is something that is a pretty big priority for them. And it is something that I don't think coaches are doing on the front end when they're presented a goal set that is like of Olympia caliber athlete. And so to, to bring that into the question of like, should hormone replacement therapy be in play for, for a large portion. And I would say it's especially for the athlete that is trying to pursue that for six, seven, eight years to compete at the highest level they can. It, it's, it's not almost, it's almost not even a question. Like it's, it's going to have to happen because ideally in that scenario, if they're adapting during prep, you're deploying that hormone replacement therapy during prep, because we need to be making sure that we're keeping all of these hormones within a ratio to facilitate fat loss and tissue retention. And if you're, you're not doing that, you're actually leaving the potential for a higher level physique on the table for that athlete that's pursuing that at the highest level. Now, the point that John brings up is about the obligatory menstrual cycle restoration is like you have the client that is prioritizing the ability to have kids over the potential long term of competing. This process looks so different from an expectation management standpoint in that you're going to need to spread those shows out for years because uh, a point on kind of what John said is even once you see that obligatory menstrual cycle restoration, probably the worst thing you could do is then turn around and prep off the back end of that because we need to have time actually ovulating and making sure that we're consistently ovulating on a month to month basis. If that client's primary goal is to be able to conceive at a later date, but they want to kind of run these competing goals on the back end. And a lot of it is like understanding the why of the client, which is why that I come back to that needs analysis upon intake is that why tells me what's on the table in order to prevent the long-term adaptations that are going to be negative for whatever the end goal may be, whether that's compete at the highest level or maintain the ability to have kids over the long term, and then manage the expectations of the initial conversation with the athlete. So that don't you so that you don't have a natural athlete that expects seven months post-show, they restore an obligatory menstrual cycle and they're ready to prep again. And, and I think a lot of it starts there. 
But I think when you transition that client from prep into off season with the one that's using HRT, it's a large step in the right direction in preventing them from ruining an off season. As long as they're able to psychologically manage the nutrition adherence and managing that well and using strategies within that as a coach to allow some freedom and flexibility within macro matching and things along those lines in order to release some of the psychological pressure from prep, but also understand where your client's end goal is because you know from the initial needs analysis of the client what they need to do in order to get there. You really, you bring up a point, Luke, about goals of fertility and the, the younger athlete that you're coaching. Like, I think a lot of people's viewpoints have changed when they get older. They're like, I never want kids. Then they're the person that has like three or four kids. Right. Um, and they're like, well, I, I, I didn't realize that when I was younger, things changed. So even if you have an, a young athlete coming to you, it's almost, you need to have a, a thought in mind and some responsibility as a coach that this person might not have the maturity development yet to be able to make the right calls for themselves and as a coach you might need to protect them a little bit from their own selves and there's a lot of coaches now that no matter the age of, of the female coming in you get the kitchen sink approach and easily could lead someone for the future to take away their ability to have children and that is it's scary. It's a lot of power that you hold in someone uh, in your own hands when you do these approaches, which you don't really think of it like that. You just kind of see it in the upfront of like, hey, 10 weeks to the show. This is what we got to make happen. But you don't realize you could be taking away something very special to this person later in life. So with a with a younger athlete, extending those um, those planning, those off seasons out longer and letting them also develop maturity in thought process of what they're trying to do, their why, before you go all in on someone and listen to like, yeah, I'm going to be an Olympian. Well, let's do the Olympia stack. Like, no, no, no. Like, let's uh, let's spread this out. Let's think about considering you're going to be doing this for the next 10, 15 years and uh, plan accordingly from there. With um, So with female physiology, is it – could you really – if you put someone on young, you're a coach and you throw the kitchen sink at them, like in a very short period of time, can you screw that person up for life? That's been a rare thing. I think you could, uh, with, with females, um, the, it, it really is this accumulation of the, the duration of use, but also right. the, the dose as well. So if you do a lot in the short term, we have some studies like there's a, study when they have different groups of females put on this dosage of a winstrol and even over it was like 30 weeks at two milligrams like 50 percent of the females had virilization side effects um six milligrams over i believe it was five weeks do you call exactly luke i don't remember the duration i do remember. We'll, get the, we'll get the i have to look it up exactly but um only one of them had some side effects so you have triple the dose over a much shorter time period a lot less um, virilization occurring. So it, it does seem like the duration, even at lower dosages could be more problematic, but um, that's not always the, always the case. It really just appears like it's this total accumulation load. So if you add it up like the, your duration times your dosage, like it might all lead to the same place. And we do see that occur in like the transgender data 
where, where there is different dosages of testosterone given across like six months and the females that are even on like half the, the uh, dosage they're giving for testosterone, they still get to the same spot as the, those that were taking the higher dosage. It just takes them longer. So right. even uh, now, if you're like, Hey, I just want to run this for six weeks. Like you could do a lot in that time period, as far as what you can get away with and probably not have any consequences. It's, but, but what's the end goal here? Like, where do you go from there? Like, you're going to have someone that probably gets a ton of results. Like, this is amazing. Like I built all this muscle, like I changed my physique. It's like, well, you're going to keep doing that. It's like, it's not sustainable. That's, that's the problem. So are you going to do, I guess the, your question's coming from like, what's, what might be the potential damage and yeah. doing that once for most people. Yeah. To be honest, it, a lot of people are just going to be able to get away with it. Um, but a lot of instances just with guys that do this stuff, like, Hey, I'm just going to run this oral D ball cycle only. Right. It's like a gateway to just continue doing it. Right. <laughs> like sure. you're going to keep doing it. It's, it's highly likely. So it just leads to the question of like, well, what are, what's the goal and is this going to be sustainable and approach like that won't be, but it's when we kind of get into how we actually would, you know, program for females and, probably doing shorter bouts over longer bouts is, is a bit ideal. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, the one, the one off of like running something pretty heavy, it's probably pretty benign, but that's not what we're actually running into coaching. It's running a lot of it over long durations. I I get the females that they start their prep and they're already running a ton of stuff. Um, and then, then they do that for 30 weeks and it's, uh, that's when you quickly see, the changes happen. Some of these, some of these virilization side effects that happen, like for a lot of females, it's the voice is what I hear. Mm. It's like, that's their, um, such a feminine trait. Like, I just don't want my voice to change. Like hair growth doesn't seem like an issue because people, women shave, they get hair, laser hair removal. Um, of course your facial changes is a big deal. And that one occurs very slowly. So it's a hard to really catch, but voice change can happen really quick. I mean, within the six week time period, you can have someone actually change their voice. So back to like, could you have a risk factor? Yeah. Like that, that would probably be the biggest risk would be voice change. Um, so do that across the entire prep. You actually absolutely could change someone's voice to some degree. And, um, that some of that is irreversible, that type of change. Yeah. I think also too, when communicating with the client, I like to visually think of it like area under the curve over the duration of the competing years that that client's going to be competing in that <clears throat> typically the higher the level, the goal set, the little bit more acceptance of this is going to be more of a possibility of side effects over the long term, especially when we're talking about the classes that diverge from the level of muscularity that female naturally sits at. So obviously like John pointed out, like you have genetic freaks who can compete at a very high pro level with very minimal usage, but that's so few and far between that. It's like when you, when you set that goal set, like explaining that the duration is probably the, the, the main issue is, is where you typically get to click with the accuracy in the goal set setting that allows you to, set the risk model for the athlete that's appropriate relative to the goal set. And I think that's where a lot of it is. Cause I mean, I've even seen, I had one inquiry that she felt horrendous coming off androgens probably because she's been fully adapted and she'd been on Innovar for like two and a half years straight. It's like, 
That is horrendous for long-term side effects and health consequences for that athlete. So it's like, man, there, there needs to be a discussion of that duration of exposure within intake with athletes and understanding how that plays into the goals that they have. What do you then do when someone comes to you in that position? And you, John, mentioned as well that you've um, had people come on who have a huge stack when they come in to coach with you. How do you circumvent that? Like if they want to do a prep and they're already up here, do you say like, well, we need to, we need to back off. We need to not do this prep. We need to go back to baseline, reestablish hormonal balance. Then we can look at it. Or how do you handle it? In, I know we keep talking about like the needs and goals of the athletes and, but it does come down to that. Right. So you're going to have people. um, Usually those individuals come to me when a problems occurred. And they've already been doing this and they've had like some great physique success, but finally like the, the, some root issue, like, but it's head, right. Whatever that may be like, Oh my gosh, my voice, I didn't realize this. Or they look back in photos they are like, this has changed. And it's a, it's a tough one because especially if you're doing long preps, like the, the focus is so much on this show that you can kind of put the blinders on to other things going around you, be a little bit in denial of them until you really need to sit down and, and accept that these are negative changes that are occurring to you. And some people are just so goal driven and like all three of mm-hmm. us, right. That if you're seeing that goal in close and it's, it's so exciting, you would be absolutely more risk adverse and accept more risk in that short duration to accomplish that goal. But the problem is the goals keep coming and you keep moving yeah. the goal up. And so you keep accepting more and more risk and it leads to the, the problem then of it's not aligning with your, also your goal of re- remaining feminine or fertility. So circum- circling back, usually the females come and there's a problem that's come about. So they already have this in the psychology spot that they, they want to make a change. And so it has to be looking at, you know, what, what were they currently doing and what was that result And then also through that, I look at what were all the other variables that they were executing at? So is this a female that, and usually it is the case that someone that was running a ton of gear, usually they're not also managing the other variables really closely. Like they usually don't have great structured training plan. They usually haven't had their form reviewed in in video before. Uh, their nutrition could be, you know, they follow their diet, but there's also gaps where we can make more out of there's just the development aspect of the athlete around how they manage their daily life, their routine, their stressors, sleep. So if there's someone where I have all these other variables that I can improve them on, I won't need as much gear to make up for that lack of a planning on the other areas. That's a lot of times what I do see is just, just, just poor coaching. It's just throwing gear at someone and you're not managing the other stuff. So in that instance, I can, I can pull someone back but we also have to have the discussion of like, hey, what's, what is the side effect experience and how much do you want to try to circumvent that? Um, what are the fertility goals here? And then laying that out, we can kind of decide how we want to go about next. Now, someone that's experienced those side effects with heavy usage absolutely do pull them back to baseline. And we have to see how long that they've been doing this for. Like, when was your last menstrual cycle that you've had? If fertility is on the table, okay, we probably want to pull this back and see what we can do restoration wise. And you're going to have to 
have the expectation there's going to be some time set aside here to get that back. So competing might have to be set on the side a little bit while we focus on the health aspects. If those are more important, then we can re reapproach competing and go about it in a more managed manner. Now fertility is off the table. And for a lot of females I have, they're like, I absolutely don't want children and they're at a maturity place where they can make that decision. Then it doesn't come necessarily down to restoring fertility, but we also need to think in mind about the other side effects that they, they want managed and what does the femininity mean to them? And it's going to be different for every female, what that means. Like we see some females that have a little bit of muscle and some people will say, Hey, you look like a man. And that isn't their definition of what a, a feminine female is for others. A more muscular female is it, it shows like a powerful female body. So for each client we, we coach, our definition of what a feminine body is might not be theirs. And so that's a consideration to have when you are coaching that athlete to um, manage within their definition of femininity. So with that being said, Hey, what are aspects we can't compromise on? Like, Hey, I can't let my voice change anymore or uh, the facial changes like, and, and work within that, that risk model. I think just to overlay a line of logic that kind of underlies all of this is the end of the day, we're kind of paid to win, right? We're paid to coach people to win. And this conversation is allowing us to get the athlete to a place that keeps them within the confines of the risk model, but also producing a package that wins on stage. So like, because there can be a large disconnect with the crowd that, doesn't really care about the femininity and they're cool with some of the side effects. And at the end of the day, from a maturity level standpoint, they know they don't want kids. And so winning is the end all be all goal. And there's risks within that model that we are willing to take that John point out that would not be risks that we would take in these other female athletes. And the time duration to the goal, a lot of times is the differentiating factor where the extremely low risk female athlete in order to keep them in a low risk model Time is your best friend in order to do that and allow them to be able to keep the fertility goals that are still on the table, where within the athlete that's not in that place in a very high risk model and is has the maturity to make that decision, unless something's rearing its head, which is often where we get someone with them having issues in progressing, whether it be off-season prep or whatever it may be, there is going to be exposure at a higher level and a longer duration. And I think that when we reel it back to like, as coaches, we have dual goals of long-term health management for the client alongside putting a winning athlete on stage is we have to find the ratio of these two for each athlete. That's according to the goal set of the athlete, understanding that we're not making dumb decisions just to increase the risk because health will always be the underlying contributing factor for decision-making for no matter the level of the athlete. But we do have to understand that when we're talking to the athlete and we're setting all of this out from a long-term perspective, our whole goal is to be able to put you on stage to win. It's just, if you're in that low risk model, it takes more time to do that. And a lot of times that's where you will see that like higher level athlete that's no longer in having the fertility goals or really even care about some of the masculinizing traits disconnect when the health conversation comes up is because a lot of it is around the side effects of PDDs when they don't really care about it not connecting the dots that their health can actually contribute to their progress 
So there is that underlying health aspect of that process for that athlete as well. Just looks a little bit different relative to the low risk athlete. Yeah. And when you, sorry, John. Oh, you bring up the, the person that, Hey, I, I don't care. Like I, I want to go all in on this and the health aspect around that. And even for males, like guys that are abusing steroids, like you see, or it, all, everything, all the PDs, there's a, a look to the physique that isn't as ideal. Um, you have, and this goes for the females as well. Like, especially look at people that have done this for a long time. You see these physique changes start happening. There's more like visceral body fat accumulation around organs. You start seeing like the masters females with larger distended abdomens because there is this high level of androgen exposure and low estrogen exposure. You start shifting a female body towards male fat body uh, distributions, which are highly central adiposity. So you have like larger abdomens now. Um, skin texture changes your skin with low estrogen is going to be more dry um, looks more aged you'll have the, the hair starts that androgenic alopecia which takes over years to accumulate but you'll see like it's, it's you have thinner hair and less of it so to get on stage like it's a full package you're presenting and you do need to display a level of, of a feminine female body and you're even as males like we're we're getting judged on all those aspects, not, not our hair, but the, the presentation, like you have humans looking at you. So um, what a, a person's going to see as beauty, whether uh, male or female, it's still humans that are, that are judging it. So the, the skin quality, um, all, all that stuff really, really matters. And you'll start running into, yeah, a, a stop point for seeing physique progress because you're accelerating the aging process as well. So absolutely, we'll take take the risk, but there's still a management there to get you to the high end goal and be able to do this so you can actually see it out and not see a decline in your physique too. And what what would be some absolute things to avoid for virilization? So to stop that masculinity, what things have you perhaps seen as coaches or people come to you with that you 100% wouldn't do or you would have your own kind of framework or structure that you would advise if this is the way that you should do it to keep those sides to a minimum. Yeah. yeah so m most of these, most of these steroids that are out, and this is what we really talk about with, with virilization is the androgens. Cause those are, that is what's going to be causing virilization to occur. Now there are non uh, androgens that create anabolism and even for a natural female, I mean, uh, you know, make considerations for some supplements that have like good merit, you know, um, creatine, beta alanine, um, citrulline, caffeine, um, ashwagandha for, for stress mitigation. Like, so like, don't forget about those. <laughs> you can still use those. Some, some females I've gotten have never even taken creatine, but they're taking like Anavar. Um, <clears throat> then, you know, there's a, a list of like non-androgens that you, you could use as well. But, you know, you asked the question about what not to do. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, with, with at least androgens, a lot of this came about to treat breast cancer. And mm -hmm. the issue around breast cancer is it's estrogen driven. So they're looking at what can we do to modulate estrogen and androgens do that. So they're offset um, estrogen's effect. So they, you look back in some old studies, they were using testosterone to 
treat breast cancer where you're like, that sounds crazy. It's like, well, it, it, that's all they had at the time to do, be able to utilize. They didn't have all the, it eventually became aromatase inhibitors and estrogen receptor blockers. And now they're, they're, they're advancing even from there, but uh, testosterone was around, but there's a lot of side effects that presented, right? It's masculization, virilization. So it's like, well, how can we make a steroid that causes less side effect? It's like, well, one that doesn't convert to DHT, a, a very male hormone, if you want to say that. Um, and so they start modifying the, the hormones to then create primobolin, masteron, nandrolone, all these other steroids were with females in mind. Now they treat a lot of other conditions, but uh, a lot of the data you look at was actually for still for breast cancer. Um, not a lot of research out there. And again, a, a lot of it, we, we just know from anecdotal experience what causes more issues and what doesn't. But um, the, the main, main thing that was used for breast cancer treatment was, was Masteron. And there's a head-to-head -head study looking at Masteron and Angelone, same dosages, with Nandrolone causing about double the amount of virilization side effects. So it worked a little bit better for the breast cancer outcomes, but not enough to justify the virilization. So Masteron, mast, meaning breast, was the, the primary line that they, they used until all these other compounds came up. Now, Primabolin is along the same lines, and there's the highest dose study in females ever used, which I'm not even going to say the dose because that might get someone the thought in mind to, to do it. But um, it was very high, but it's more so to, to see the effect and outcomes, right? <clears throat> not what you would actually clinically deploy. But uh, that has very low benign effects um, uh, for, for females too. So Nan, all, all those compounds are on the table for females. They've been clinically deployed. Nandrolone, Primabolin, Masteron, Anivar being amongst those as well and still very commonly used in uh, children, babies. So it is a benign. The issue around that one is that it is uh, orally ingested, which causes the more liver toxicity and lipid changing, which if you can get the same muscle building effects out of an injectable, that would be more ideal. But it's kind of the barrier to entry of using an injectable for a female. So <clears throat> what we would say is, is the compounds present more risk are ones that we've never even put into a female body to know even what it does, um, which uh, boldenone would, would be one. Um, it's yeah. never been approved for human usage. <clears throat> I've seen females use it as well, and it does pretty quickly can cause some side effects. I've had females like, man, I'm getting a lot of acne with this. Like I haven't got that before There's skin issues. Um, but it, it definitely has more of an impact and we just, it potentially could have more renal toxicity as well. Um, a few definitely off the table would be like Dianabol, um, which was just methylated testosterone. It was, these drugs came about to uh, find an oral way to use testosterone because People don't like injections. Like it's, that's what it's about, but you're, you're looking at a testosterone replacement orally. Last thing you want to do for a female, um, TRT replacement's a different story for a female. That's very much accepted. And that's almost probably a, the first line that you'd want to look at for where a female's natural status is. And, um, but an oral uh, version of that, like Diana ball would definitely be off the table. Um, Halotestin would be another one. It's another um, methylated testosterone uh, would, would be another one. Um, 
their uh, trenbolone at one point in history has been used for human usage. It was produced um, in France. However, to find a human study on this, I can't, I, I can't even find one. And with what we're trying to bring out in females, like the, the amount needed to do so for the muscle that they have, I don't see it needing to be in place. Um, and it, arguably it's, it's at, at the right dosages. It might not be that virilizing because it, it doesn't convert to DHT. It, doesn't aromatize on paper it looks fine um but there's a lot more risk that goes along with it and potential like neurotoxicity as well so i think that one that just doesn't need to be on the table for females you might see it used in like female bodybuilder right they are way beyond uh, a female muscularity wise to where they need much more for muscle retention like that could be there and also that's within a risk profile for them but probably not for for earlier on divisions um and you you could you could probably lump any other uh non-human approved drug on the table for these females as well just i'd rather go with something that's been utilized at some point in history within a female body we've seen the effects what's gotten popular and maybe i'll stop talking and let luke talk and around like the sarm conversation um, yeah. or any of the other drugs I, I left out luke <laughs> yeah i think uh <clears throat> and just to kind of bring it back to the original question about limiting realization uh, a coaching aspect of what we can do as well for tracking is using like a voice analyzer app so that we can catch potential changes in pitch now the the con to that is like having that client aware that when they're sick, potential pitch can change just from like issues with uh, like changes in voice from like congestion and stuff. So um, that can be a slippery slope psychologically. If you're not uh, built a rapport with the athlete, they can understand that. Um, So just that is something that I will use from a tracking standpoint, but I think, I think the conversation always comes back to what do we have clinically approved for humans that we can elicit a response via the pathways we know that facilitate hypertrophy with the limited risk of these side effects. And I think you can't really go outside the confines of the conversation that John provided, because even within the, the SARMs, like very limited long-term data on it, we don't really have an understanding of potential long-term effects on it. Um, I know that Austrian is one that commonly gets brought up within female usage. But I think when we're looking at the overarching theme and the overarching goal of competing, we, we kind of have a classification of like non-androgenic hormone replacement therapy and then super physiological androgen exposure and escalating an athlete across those is kind of how we find where we deploy these compounds that are clinically approved in an organized ordered fashion um, relative to the risk profile. And that's where that conversation stops and like, trying to go down these like experiential or experimental drugs that don't have that data supported with the the clinical use, I think is just a little bit short-sighted in my opinion. It seems unnecessary when people talk about Psalms and in female usage as well, it just seems unnecessary when you have the tools at your disposal already to use something that's untested and hasn't been used at that level. Yeah, it um, because a lot of this old like anabolic steroid research, it is very old and there's not a lot of it. So you now have like modern day research being conducted, which 
like Austrian's gone, I believe all, almost all the way to like um, uh, phase three clinical trying, which um, nice. in modern day to go through all those phases of, of trials, you, you do have a lot of human data uh, being deployed. And usually when you're having this drug going to, re- going to come to market, they have to specifically say what they're trying to accomplish. And if it doesn't meet that um, outcome, then it's, they have to redo their, their trials. So like say with, with Austrian um, treating like functional strength in uh, sarcopenia. So if you don't see like a, an outcome for increasing function, even though you increase lean mass, that wouldn't have to go back through and not be approved and have to redo the trials for a different outcome. So right. it might very well be like a fine safety profile, um, but it might just be not meeting uh, the disease outcome that they're trying to treat in the study, but at least with the modern day SARMs that are around and Austrian being one that's been the closest to being uh, approved, it's still at, if you look at the dosage levels used, they're relatively pretty low in the studies, but people aren't doing that. And mm-hmm. uh, once you raise the dosages up, they still have offsite target action, very similar to that of say Oxangelone. And we still see lowering of HDL and decreasing luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone still causing uh, HPO axis suppression, C elevations in you know, liver enzymes. And then the next problem that really arises is that, you know, there's been studies on SARMs looking at what's on the market and like 50% of them aren't even SARMs uh, in, in one of the studies looking over. So you then, and, and the same problem could be with getting access to, um, androgens, but nowadays, like at least in the U S like we have HRT clinics that will prescribe some of this stuff. Um, so you, you very well could get farm grade with a SARM. They're almost all like research chemicals that you have to just get somewhere off the internet and hope someone's a great guy that's giving you the, the, the right stuff. So it, um, at the current time, it doesn't, there's not one that I would recommend. Um, and, but in the future there, there very well could be. So it just isn't, isn't the ideal choice to go with. And back on your other question, Mark, about uh, another thing to not do uh, mm. that came to mind was Proviron. I, uh... um, I just didn't think, think of that one, which I, I do see it used commonly. And it's been used as like a hardener in males. And I hate the term um, because it, it gives a connotation that it, it's a fat loss drug to females. And they don't think of it as like being just an, an androgen. And uh, provirone is the closest thing to, to a DHT that you have, which DHTs in the body, um, they quickly get metabolized in skeletal muscle to a very weak androgen. So they don't have a lot of muscle building property to them, but they still can go around all the other sites in the body and cause virilization. So you're, you're taking a, a very, very virilizing compound without much benefit for muscle building, but also the effect of trying to make someone hard. They're not great fat loss agents. And they're really, if the goal here is to manage water, like dry someone out, it's also just throwing in, hoping that you're addressing the the right reason why someone is um, holding water. And this is another issue that comes about in females is, the overuse of items to, to assume that you need to manipulate water with um, aromatase inhibitors and serms. And 
smashing down the hormone that we said were so beneficial for females, estrogen, which when you look at low estrogen states, it's actually um, estrogen has a very beneficial role in um, lipolysis at the adipose site, breaking down body fat and also has all these anabolic properties and, and is a uh, anabolic in its own right. So to the idea of being in prep and lowering estrogen is to lower, lower body fat levels and female um, fat pattern dis- dispositions that you see. Um, but you're also r- really making it harder for this individual too. And what we see like anecdotally is you add something in like this and you lower estrogen. Estrogen absolutely is an input to increase um, aldosterone and cause water retention. So you have this acute drop in an input that all of a sudden someone's going to, will, will likely reduce water. And you're like, aha, that was it. This is how someone's going to keep progressing. And you, you, you are putting in a tool, but it's just the wrong assessment, right? So rather than lowering estrogen, why don't we address the aldosterone? <laughs> Cause you're trying to have like a, a secondary thing to address the root issue. Um, so you can address aldosterone, which a lot of times that's coming up a lot of times from cortisol, um, Mm. cortisol acts to drive up, um, and act on the mineral corticoid receptor and cause water retention. A lot of times females are holding just from so much fatigue because it takes a lot to get them lean. So we, you really want a thorough assessment of why a female, is it fat versus water? And if it is water related, how do we sort that? And a lot of times rarely is it the need to use, aromatase inhibitors or serms, especially in a female state in prep where most people don't have a menstrual cycle anymore. They're already don't have much estrogen present. So why is it the one that we're going to is to lower estrogen even farther? It's just, uh, I think dogma that's been passed around of this is what you do in a female to get them hard for stage. And I think that's one area that should just stop because it's just inaccurate of the assessment for someone um, prepping. So those are other ones that I would say are not, not off the table um, because they're instances that they might come into play, but it's the rare, rare instances that they really need to. Um, but yeah, Proviron was another one as well. And, and, and at least at the moment, SARMs are on the shelf until something better comes along. Awesome. That's all super useful. Thank you so much, guys, for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, there's so much to cover. I would love it if next week or the week after you could come back on and we could talk about training, nutrition, go into more detail, the menstrual cycle as well, and just give a real full encompassing view into training females. In the meantime, where can people find out more about coaching females? Yes. So on December 13th, this will be the release of, for all of us, um, the female module, which within this conversation, I mean, you realize that coaching a female is very involved and, I know you probably listened to us talking like, man, you don't really nail them down on anything specific. Like, what do I actually do? Like, tell us, John and Luke, what do we do? And it's, uh, and there's just so much to like build out. Like I can give you a generalized, you know, framework here. And there's a lot of topics that encompass a a female to go into deep depth on each one. We would, we would have a, a podcast just on each segment or lectures or, we would have a whole female course, <laughs> which is what Luke and I have put together. Yeah. So uh, the female module is what's coming out December 13th. And that's 13 lectures all ranging from 45 to 60 minutes long covering from 
Um, what do you need to know about the menstrual cycle <clears throat> and female endocrinology? Pertinent to the physique coach. Um, what do you need to know about birth control, um, hormone disruption that occurs within that? And what does that mean for a physique athlete? What do you do when you come across that? What, what do you need to um, address or outsource to others? What do you do nutrition wise, training wise for a female? And this, this PED talk that we have, which is a big component of it. Um, how do you structure that out for a female from beginner day one, I'm ready to compete all the way to someone that is highly advanced or uh, highly risk adverse and wants that upper echelon of female development and then even into risk mitigation strategies and how do you structure that entirety into an off season in a contest prep into peak week for a female. So this is the, the one one course, um, but not even one one because that doesn't justify it because all the way up to advanced of how to coach a female. And with even a bonus lecture in there of like 90 minutes of just lab work assessment, because that's been a, a huge question around for female coaching. And then Luke and I are, are in the course too. We have a forum specifically dedicated to all the coaches or athletes to ask us questions following up from the lectures as well. Um, my wife's case studies from coaching her to the Olympia are in there also. So this, this course will be high, high value. If you are trying to elevate your female clients and push those females up to a higher level also with keeping um, as much health as is possible for the female clients and, you know, raising your standard as, as a coach as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. We'll put the link below so that you can click through. And I look forward to our next chat going into more detail. Thanks for having us.